Support for Class Dismissed comes from School Status. School Status helps educators at every level take control of student data for increased outcomes and meaningful stakeholder engagement. Find out more at SchoolStatus.com. You are listening to Class Dismissed, episode 201, and I'm your host, Nick Ortigo. This week, the Delta variant is wrecking havoc on schools throughout the South. Will this year be more difficult than last year? Stay with us. podcast that inspires educators through story. Each week, we cover some of the hottest topics and news in the world of education. Plus, we hear from a guest with a bright idea for education that you can apply in your community. This week, do you have a need to contact trace within your school? A software company built a tool that integrates with your district sys. Hello, everybody. Nick Ortigo here. I'm joined by friend, director of curriculum and instruction and class dismissed co-host, Christina Pollard. Christina, how are you doing? I am good, um, considering, you know, all the things going on in the world right now. Yeah. And I don't know. Tell me, am I living in a bubble and lost and confused? Or is it like this everywhere? Or is it just like this in the South? It feels like this time around as we're starting school, things are a lot worse. And and what I mean by that is like when we were wrapping up school last year, I felt pretty good about where we were and I was optimistic. Very confident. And um, I mean, I think mm-hmm. it's just with this Delta variant affecting younger people and schools are aware of that and the amount of shutdowns we've seen here in the South, it just feels different. It does feel different. Um, when we closed out school last year, I think we felt like we had a handle on protocols and procedures and protecting students and teachers. I think we felt good about um, all the decisions that we had to make last year as, you know, they were all first. And now as we are back in school, I think that the world around us is just so um, chaotic in decision-making that it's making going back to school the spotlight of everything. And sadly, um, I think it's going to impact the children negatively seeing um, the images and the headlines all tied to them returning back to school. I feel like it's also different because it seems like we're seeing more teachers, uh, more more children getting infected with COVID. And I think that's starting to become very real for people who maybe were acting like this hasn't been going on, but just because I think it's people closer to them in their age, um, Mm -hmm. it's kind of changed a lot of folks' perspective on it. Um, Really sad news over the weekend. I mean, just a couple counties north of us up in Smith County, Mississippi um, and Raleigh, uh, there was an eighth grade girl who died from COVID-related complications on the way to the hospital. Like it all came on very fast. Um, I saw a a story out of Florida where three teachers um, passed in Broward County, Florida in one week. Yes. Um, and I don't remember stuff like that last year. I mean, I know there were a, a few little pockets here and there, but it seems more widespread, more contagious, m- more dangerous for younger people. Certainly, it certainly is. And I think for the teaching world, I think it draws a lot of concerns, regardless of whether you're vaccinated or not. Just thinking about your classroom being a petri dish is a lot to handle day in and day out. And 
you know, we have a lot of love and respect for first responders. And I think the way things are going right now, that the view of the teacher is going to change to um, the view of a first responder um, serving anywhere from 20 to 36 children in a classroom, depending on the grade that you teach. Um, It's certainly risky. Uh, I think teachers are um, heroes in the fact that we're going back this year. And once again, I really feel like it's kind of a divided situation where the states and the South have the lowest numbers of vaccinations, but we were most certainly the first to say we're returning to school face to face, you know, traditional, um, n- no leniency on considering some of the options that we had last year. And that's worrisome. What also has been interesting in, in my bubble is the fact that last year, my elementary child's school, I don't think they ever went virtual full time. I, I think they, you know, quarantined here and there. They went hybrid at times. Um, but I don't think they ever went like fully virtual with these really young kids, kindergarten. Where you weren't seeing high numbers or high pockets right. of young children um, testing positive or needing to quarantine. And, and, and this year we kick off mm. and within like, you know, a week and a half, we were virtual. So I, I had to Correct. I watched her, my daughter's teacher, kind of, you know, do that for the first time. And that seems weird because I know there's much of the country who who had been doing that already. Um, But I just wonder, like, I think we're going to see a lot more of that take place in the South. And there's teachers who may just really be going virtual um, in that, you know, multi Google Meet room with very young children, kindergartners, first graders, second graders. And it's very challenging for them. It's not like you're talking to high school students when you're trying to pull this off over a computer. Extremely, because they're excited. All of their classmates' faces are all over the screen. But the only benefit that I can say that to protect them, um, there's no reason for any of us not to have the means at this point um, to provide virtual instruction if it's necessary. But it's also um, great opportunities because children that young truly need to see um, the teacher's face, the the, the the movements of the mouth, the tongue placement um, as they're learning you know, beginning steps to to be able to be good readers. So I'm glad that they have the, those options. But what's going to miss, um, what's going to be most missed, I suspect, is going to be their social interaction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and how they learn and grow from one another. I watched my um, first grade, first grader, like sing happy birthday to one of the students through um, Google Meet. And it was just really touching to like see that, you know, still kind of take place. But yeah. watching this virtual with the young kids, it's like, you know, that some of those kids, their parent or parents, don't have the flexibility that I have where I can, you know, say, all right, keep them, keep her on task throughout the day with the assignments. Like they're just yeah. kind of on their own somewhere. And it's just got to be so challenging at that age. Um, De- definitely. And imagine those parents who don't have childcare, right. someone to watch them. Um, it impacts how they, um, you know, report to work. Um, and even though schools now should have, you know, the capacity to provide um, computers to every child, do those children have internet at home? That right. is still an issue. No doubt. Um, and, and you kind of alluded to this. We're seeing, you know, leadership different from place to place. I saw California became the first state to require vaccinations for all school staff. Um, so I thought that was a good move. Um, That's I, a bold move, yeah. but it definitely created uh, a little frustration. There are some educators in that state that don't agree. Well, I mean, I'm ask, they think I'm it's ask, against their rights. Well, and so what do you think would happen in your district if, if you're if Mississippi said all educators have to be vaccinated, do you think you'd have people quit? Um, I certainly think that it would be a challenge seeing as how we barely have, 
you know, a third of our state vaccinated now. Right. And and I guess I would need to know the third that's vaccinated. Does that number make up a great, you know, is it a great number of educators that even has us where we are with our vaccination um, percentages? And if not, then I think it would be certainly a major issue. And I think you would see pockets, um, different pockets across the state where that wouldn't be a problem. But I do think it would be an issue um, from the top to the bottom of the state. Um, I'm going to play a quick clip. Uh from a school board meeting in Tennessee. Um, it's actually from an Inside Edition news piece, um, but where you have anti-mask parents um, speaking to the school board, saying things like, we will come for you. Um, listen to this real quick. Actions have consequences. If you vote for this, we will come for you in a non-violent way. You do not have the legal authority to issue a mandate. These parents aren't putting a mask on their children, and if you try to force us to do so, I know I personally will sue, and anyone else here who will join me, please show us hands. Asking you to implement a temporary mask mandate at least until every student has had the opportunity to be vaccinated against COVID-19. And when the school board in Williamson County, Tennessee, voted to temporarily require the face coverings, there was a heated reaction. The tension continued outside. We, we know who we you know are. Who you are. We, know we know who you are. You can leave we freely, know who you are. but we you, will find you and we know you who you are. Michael Miller is the driver who found himself surrounded. He had spoken at the meeting in favor of masks. All I want to do is go home to my family and my kids. I'm a parent. I don't even know what to say. I just. I don't either. I, I, I think first and foremost, why are we threatening other people? Why does that man feel unsafe? Are we not still in the country where we can express our views and and disagree respectfully? Um, I just don't think that that's the answer. And I don't think that we're setting a good example for our children. What I see stemming from that um, is going to be conflict between children within the classroom. Yeah, no, I, I can't imagine, you know, in certain areas, I'm sure, you know, students feel certain ways. I don't know. I mean, I always yeah. talk to my older son about it and he, you know, he sounds like the, the kids there at his school are pretty cordial. There's no one like fighting over masks or vaccinations like the parents are. But, yeah. uh, but, but they're you know. actually at vaccination age. I'm thinking of little ones. Right. Um, you know, let's, let's just say seven to 11 having opinions based on conversations from their breakfast table. I worry, I guess, and I hate this for this to be a negative episode or a pessimistic episode, but I worry that like, you know, we're seeing little touches of this variant creeping into, as we kind of talked about, younger people, students. Mm -hmm. What happens if the next variant is really aggressive with young kids, just like it was aggressive with older folks earlier on, you know, and and how would we react as a country if that were the case? I think it's just that old dodge, you know, like sometimes our parents say that oftentimes things have to get on the uh, worst end of the spectrum for us to pay attention. And, you know, I don't think that this should be politicized. I think this is really about the health and safety of children. And that's supposed to be our number one priority within a school building, even before teaching and learning. And so I think everybody has a right Um, to believe what they want. But at the end of the day, we have to do what's best for children. What's your prediction for this year? Kind of seeing the way, because, you know, there's there's a lot of people in the country who may be listening to this that haven't even started school yet. And and granted, we are in that low vaccination area of the country. But 
I mean, how do you think this year is going to play out? Because I, I guess it's on track, in my opinion, to be worse than last year. And it kind of caught me off guard a little bit. I guess I was just thinking that things would be better. I'm hopeful. I try to be optimistic. I'm glad that I work um, in a district where we have a visionary um, as our leader. And she considered a lot of these things and our back to school plan um, required mask. And we're definitely following our protocols to try to keep everyone safe. But just speaking, I guess, as a state, I am gravely concerned as to the direction we're going to go in and how it's going to impact young people. I mean, just recently, we received some mandates from the High School Athletic Association that any schools that go virtual, any students that, um, you know, if they're quarantined, they they can't play ball. If a school goes virtual, they have to forfeit their, their athletic events and you know, that's just, it's heartbreaking. What do you think about that? That one kind of caught me off guard and, and I didn't read that story in detail, but when, just if anybody's not keeping up, you're basically saying the Mississippi Department or is it Mississippi High School it's Athletic Association? It's the Mississippi High School Athletic Association. Yeah, they have ruled. So if, you're, if your school is virtual for the safety of the students, then, mm-hmm. and then the football game comes up, you automatically you forfeit. Fortune. Yes. Um, right. I, I feel like, that almost is like who's in charge here is the athletic association telling like running things and and then you end up with like school districts that may not want to go virtual even though maybe they should because well, their team has a, a shot at the state championship it's just weird I, I think there's a worse implication than that having people withhold honest yeah. information right. about their you know positive status yeah it, it, and so i just felt like that was weird that they had that authority over, say, the Mississippi Department of Education. I don't know. That one kind of surprised me. Well, I always and they lo- have worked together on it. I'm not quite sure, but yeah. I do know that that is different from last year. Mm-hmm. Um, I always kind of look for, you know, silver lining somewhere. And um, I've been trying to kind of keep an eye on the COVID cases in England because they got hit with the Delta variant before us. It was like in June. And when you look at their chart, they spiked considerably. So like it was early June, you kind of started to see that spike and then it kind of peaked around mid July. So it was about a month and a half of, you know, just an insane amount of cases. And then you see it drop a little bit, not all the way back down to where it was before, but you do see a significant drop. So I guess my theory is there, not an epidemiologist, but it's just almost like, (laughs) did you see so many people get it and then vaccination numbers increase. So antibodies increase of those who weren't being vaccinated that it kind of started to drop back down again. I guess what I'm saying is I hope that here in the United States and here in the South will at least get some relief after about a month, month and a half. I certainly hope so as well. And there are a lot of um, officials who truly believe that maybe we're, we're, you know, about, about a month in, um, to seeing this peak. And let's just hope that when the fall weather kicks in, um, you know, that we'll see some change, but I will, I do want to, I guess, give a kudos. I always try to find the positive. Um, We are seeing some, some increases in vaccinations. And even in our area, we're seeing um, sites opening up even on Sunday to try to accommodate um, the request for vaccinations. And so I'm, I'm just really hopeful. Yeah, I am too. I know that I've seen people in my world um, post or tell me or I've heard through the grapevine that they got vaccinated when they were holdouts before. And be honest, at this point, you don't have to explain it to me. You don't have to tell me why you didn't get vaccinated before. I'm just glad to see people kind of coming around. And I applaud anybody that 
is willing to go onto their Facebook page or whatever and say, hey, I'm not vaccinated because it might motivate somebody else, you know, to, yeah. to do it. And it does take a brave person in today's world to actually come out and say that. So uh, I think that's good. Uh, give me something positive in your world. I mean, is your district, y'all are in pretty good shape, right? Like, am I Right wrong? now, we, we are in pretty good shape. Of course, you know, there's probably not a district out there that doesn't have at least one um, positive uh, COVID result. But we are not in a serious situation right now. Uh, we are serving students face to face. We are traditional. We have our COVID protocols in place. And we are just hopeful that we all continue to follow them pretty rigidly uh, in order to protect children and teachers. Well, I like to hear that. Well, I want to promise our listeners that I, my goal is not to talk about COVID every week, but I would feel like we're not doing our job if we didn't kind of capture what's going on in the United States right now with education and COVID because it is just such a big topic. It's pushing headlines in every major news organization really around around the country. So uh, we'll try to get back into the world of, you know, classroom lessons and things like that and kind of move away from COVID as soon as that time's appropriate. Um, are you ready for today's bright idea? I am. Our guest in today's Bright Idea segment is the founder and CEO of School Status. Russ Davis is here to tell us why and how they built contact tracing and quarantine tracking features into their existing software. And those features actually can be utilized now by schools all across the country. Russ, great to have you back on Class Dismissed. Thanks for having me, Nick. Sorry for having to do this uh, so such uh, so socially distanced. I guess. Oh no, no, that's that. Look, if there's been been anything interesting about the the world that we live in, where everyone's you know better at communicating through computers, it's actually made the quality of this podcast better. And I'm just being honest because everyone's <laughs> everyone's so much better at connecting remotely now. And I think you know microphones are getting better and their setups are better, so it's it's not so much a bad thing in that regard. Full disclosure: you guys, uh, School Status is a sponsor of the show. However, um, you guys give us basically free reign to to interview and do whatever we want and i heard about these new features uh, school status built into their software and i went to you and i was like hey we've got to talk about this you guys have um this quarantine tracking and contact tracing reports that y'all built into your existing software and for anyone who's not aware uh, and you correct me if i'm wrong the best way to describe school status it's a data and a communications tool for school districts and you guys are in i don't know half a dozen more states around the country right uh, actually, we're in uh, 12 states now. Oh, wow. So, so a dozen states. Uh, a full dozen states. Yeah, absolutely. So, And we serve, um, you know, about 160 districts or so across those states. So um, largely concentrated in the southeast, but uh, proud to serve districts all the way from Michigan all the way down to Louisiana and all the way over to Georgia and then all the way over to to the other to the west to Arizona. So we have a pretty wide swath of folks across the country, which is frankly why we came up with these features is because, you know, a lot of states, uh, the federal government really hasn't provided a lot of guidance to districts on, you know, how exactly they should deal with the pandemic. And so it was really left to a lot of states and the states have really, and for the most part, depending on where you live, they've really pushed that down to the districts. Well, districts are not really well suited. They're, they're well suited to educate kids. They're not really well suited to, uh, to help contain and control a pandemic. Yeah. They're not a health and department, right? I mean, that's, that's, that's exactly right. Yeah. And so, and you know, the, the local regulations are, like you mentioned, there's a health department, there's a state health department, 
there's the CDC, there's the Department of Education, and really our districts, um, we're struggling with, you know, how do we, the first thing we want to do is figure out if there is an infection or if there is a student who is suspected um, of, of having COVID-19 or, uh, frankly, any other communicable disease. Like, you know, if this were to, uh, God forbid, this should happen, you know, in, an, in another setting or even for cold and flu season. I think mm-hmm. we're going to be way better prepared in the future to handle future flu outbreaks and things like that than, than ever before. Um, but I digress. Get, getting back to the, the feature at hand, basically, we wanted a way for someone to log into our software to find a student. Uh, my daughter's name is Sloan Davis. So let's find Sloan Davis and then let's kick a but- click a button and find all of the students that they may have come in contact with based on their schedule. Right. So, and, so, and so it's not like you can't ever just say based on walking past in the hallway, but I guess you're actually correct. Like driving into like, w- which classes has this child been in? Correct. Which classes the child have been in? And if they put their extracurriculars on their schedule as well, or their buses or things like that, we can also tell like, what uh-huh. is the bus that they've been in contact with? If they are on the football team, let's, let's look at that. And so this is really a starting place. It's not really, you know, we call it a contact tracing report. It's not really like click point and click contact tracing because that really technology doesn't exist today. It requires a human element. Right. We just want to give them a place to start. So, you know, let's say that I've got a student and I have a, then I have a list of students that they may have come in contact with. Um, the CDC guidelines, and, and again, states may override these guidelines, but the base minimum is that if they've been in contact within six feet of somebody for more than 15 minutes, then that person, is, if the person they've been in contact with is positive or presumptive positive, then they have to be quarantined for um, up to 14 days. Right. And so, um, so often what that looks looks like they send them home to virtual school. And so what a lot of districts will do is they'll take this report and then they'll go find the seating chart for that classroom or work with that teacher and figure out where folks were sitting. Um, they'll talk to the individual student and their parent, figure out who else they came in contact with, maybe at lunch or something like that. And they just build a list of students that need to be quarantined. So that was the first step, right? And so folks said, this is really great. We love it. This is going to help us save so okay. much time. And, and before, before you go to the next step, though, sure. I just want to make sure the, the listeners understand. So basically, you're saying if if your daughter, Sloan Davis, contracts COVID, and you can go into your software, and you click a, you click a button, and then it says yep. all these students were in class with this student. So then I guess you could then in turn maybe email all those parents rather than emailing the entire second grade or first grade or whatever, sure. right? Yep, absolutely. And and really, it's up to the school at that point for how they want to deal with it. But what a lot of them will do is they will quarantine the students who are within six feet of that student for more than 15 minutes. So if you were to look at like a row of desks mm-hmm. and Sloan's in the center of those desks, they would they would quarantine everybody that was surrounding her, basically, because in a class period, they're going to be in contact with that student for more than 15 minutes. So, um, so instead of having to quarantine an entire classroom or an entire a class of students, like uh, some of our customers have had to do, um, they they really can just log in and you know it's kind of hyper local, I guess. Right. But they don't. But what they're not doing is they're not spending an hour logging into their sys in a clunky interface trying to find the students who who are in fact uh, in contact with them because the key is to get them out of class as quickly as possible. So it, it basically builds like an Excel sheet at that point when you say run the yeah, report. Yeah, it does. It builds a, build a spreadsheet that yeah. they can make notes on, do whatever they want to do. It has a student's um, contact information. Um, it has the student's name. It has the student's grade, all that kind of stuff. Gotcha. So so that's the first place. So then you kind of run into the issue, okay, well, I've got multiple students who are, are quarantined. 
when can they return to school, right? So, so the great thing about running school status is that initially we kind of like had to like, you know, read tea leaves to try to figure out uh, exactly what features to build. Mm-hmm. You kind of had to read the market because there wasn't a great product like ours really on the market, you know, eight or nine years ago. Now our customers tell us exactly what they want us to do. So our roadmap is almost 100% driven by our customer's demand. And so the next thing customers said was, hey, this is really great, but I'm having a track now you know, when students were quarantined and why, and when they can return to school uh, in a spreadsheet somewhere. And that's not really HIPAA compliant. And there's a lot of other issues running around with it. So can we just track that in school status? And of course we said, yes, absolutely. Right. And so to, to augment that feature, we added a COVID tracking feature so that you can log in and say, okay, Sloan has been, today is the third and uh, she uh, popped positive or is presumptive positive. There are reasons you can choose, like uh, a family member uh, has been exposed, so they have to be quarantined. That's another reason that they can't come back to school. Um, and then it automatically projects forward 14 days, which is the uh, – there's been two sets of CDC guidelines. We went with the the most conservative, which is 14 days. Some folks say 10 days. You can override it whenever right. you okay. decide on when. So if you chose today's a third, then it would calculate the 17th. As being 14 days in advance when she could return to school. Um, so that's tracked within school status. And you can, the good news is that you can track multiple infections. So if a student, you know, a student can be quarantined multiple times if they come in contact with multiple students throughout the year. So it basically keeps a running record so that if you need to report back to your state health officials or your local health officials, you know, who are the students that are currently quarantined and how many and when and why and that sort of thing. Basically, it's a central clearinghouse to store this information as opposed to keeping you know, sensitive health data um, in a in a large Google spreadsheet that everybody can see, which is what some districts were doing, which yeah, uh, is pretty scary. That can get messy. Absolutely can. And so uh, that's why we created that feature. So not only do you have a place to find the students who should be quarantined, but you have a place to store their quarantine information. Um, and that information is logged and recorded. So who's looked at it and when, and it's tied to the individual student. So and it can't be like a teach, red flag, can it? Like where it's like, hey, Johnny, Johnny's back at school and they shouldn't be yet. Or yeah, we could we could very well do that. Uh, but what most people are doing, most people are respecting the guidelines. What they can also do is use this data to communicate with those parents. So whenever that student is marked as quarantined, they can very quickly go to the contacts tab and then communicate with the parent directly. And, uh, you know, send the, send the same language out to everybody so they can copy and paste into a text message to that parent saying, hey, your child has been quarantined because they came in contact with another student. And they can return to school in the state. And so, you know, again, harnessing that communications component. So the place where I store the data, the place where I reach out to people. Um, and if anybody has a question, have I re- has anyone reached out to this parent to tell them their child's quarantined? Um, you can very easily do that uh, within the um, uh, within our software, so you can see all the communication that's transpired with that parent uh, within our software. So all all the communication is logged and recorded. So there's a record of when you reached out to that t- uh, parent and told them that their child was quarantined. You all were uniquely positioned to pull this off because you, I guess, you have all the the whatever's in your sis, right? Like that's, you guys already had ingested that. I mean, I guess a lot of companies couldn't come in and do this without importing all that data, right? Yeah, they probably could. And, and the, the, it would be hard for them to do it, I guess. And honestly, I'm really surprised that every sis in the country hasn't developed this capacity. Like it just seems relatively intuitive to me to, you know, if you have it, there should be a place to track it and that increases your utilization. But honestly, what we found over the years and not to, 
being sysis, right? It's just that they're, they have these large kind of monolithic platforms and it's really hard for them to innovate. And so one of the things we've worked really hard at school status is to build a platform that we can build other applications on top of our existing data sets mm-hmm. so that whenever we want to add COVID tracking or whenever we want to add, you know, a new feature, we can very quickly do that without um, having to rip it all apart and add it back. And so, um, you know, we could either wait for like we work with, I think, 14 or 15 different sys manufacturers, like uh, student information packages, basically like PowerSchool or Infinite Campus or SAM or, or any of the other ones that are out there. Um, we could either wait for them to do it and try to pull the data into our software, or we could just do it ourselves. And that's what we decided to do. Instead of waiting for these companies to eventually get around to it, which it doesn't like they are, um, or have a district kind of do a one-off solution, we just decided to have some uniformity amongst our customers so that, you know, we could build a, a, a cohesive experience. Yeah. And you mentioned, you know, it's it's all about saving districts time. And whenever we ask our guests, you know, what's the best gift to give an educator? One common answer is time, like give us more time Times. somehow. Yeah. And and I noticed that um, it looks like y'all also are releasing, I don't know what you call it, a help article or, or, or you know, some sort of help page on your website and it's really cool because you you it looks like your team built contact tracing news release temp- templates they built contact tracing announcement templates so basically if you're a district you just go on there you down, you pull down the template and if you want to send this to your local media to say hey here's what we're doing and here's how we're doing it or if you want to send it out to your all your parents and say here's what we're doing here's how we're doing it those releases are already written and you just plug in like district name and so yep. forth it's pretty slick uh, yeah, absolutely. Like we wanted to make it as as paint by numbers easy as possible because again, the thing that districts don't have, especially at the district offices, and teachers are super busy, but also, you know, the folks that are actually planning and running districts at the top, um, they're very busy as well. And so we didn't want it to be a hindrance, right? We didn't want it to be something where they had to be like, okay, what do we do? How do we roll this out? Right. So we wanted to provide a checklist, which is exactly what we've done on that page. Uh, provide a checklist for contact tracing uh, so that folks could, you know, how do I tell my staff that this is coming out and where it lives in our software? How do I train people on this? How do I tell my local media about this? What is my checklist whenever I reach out and talk to parents? What am I supposed to be communicating to them um, about uh, being quarantined, for instance? And we provide some CDC guidance on there um, for how to how to do contact tracing in the wild and ways to communicate in the templates in order to do so. And so we want to, we want to take as much work because look, the thing about it is, is that districts aren't experts at this. They're not doing it every day. And, and frankly, neither are school status. We're not experts at this either, right? But what we can do is find a best practice and replicate that to as many districts as possible because there's really no sense in 160-something districts doing the same thing over and over and over again whenever they share a common thing, which is us, right? So let's help them by finding a best practice, what's the best way to roll this out, and disseminating that to all these districts. And if you think about, you know, let's say that the average... Um, work burden to type up that information, find it on the web and things like that is six hours, right? Then what you are saving is thousands of educator hours, which are, you know, better money. spent effectively. Yeah. yeah, it's it's money, it's time. And those are things that districts just don't have a lot of right now. So anything we can do to make it better, that's what we want to do. That's really cool. Now, we have listeners that I'm sure are school status customers already, and then we have some that aren't. So let's let's kind of sure. break it down. If you, if you are already a school status customer, like you have access to this, it already exists? You do, yeah. If you log in, no, it's a it's a gated permission, right? So to run the contact tracing report, um, it's it, usually it has to have a special permission. So we don't want 
um, just anybody running a report because that could run into FERPA issues or they could potentially see students that they don't have contact with. Mm -hmm. And so the way it works is that if you're at the district level, if you're a district administrator, which is typically the person who's going to be running this report, then you log in, you type in the student's name like Sloan Davis, and then there's a contact tracing button on their schedule. And you click that and it's going to generate their contact tracing report. Um, similarly, in their in their um, uh, student card as well is a COVID uh, contact tracing tab as well that they can log in and save the date that they were quarantined, mm-hmm. uh, when they can return to school, and the reason that they're being quarantined. And this tab can also be used for flu. the flu, yeah. right? Let's contain the flu. The flu kills a lot of people every year, and it really sh- it shut – I mean, we do a um, – I know that you guys routinely do a story about the flu shutting down. Uh, Oklahoma you know, whole, last year, yeah, I think, had the absolutely. shutdown. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. And so, like, you know, that doesn't have to happen anymore. Whenever we encounter a student with the flu, we can find students that they have – the flu is transmitted in a very similar way, right? It's an airborne – it's airborne or it's uh, it's liquid droplet-based. Um, so, we can do these same things. So, if somebody's listening and they're like, all right. I need to learn more about school status. I mean, they help with communication. They help with tracking data. Now they help with contact tracing and quarantine tracking. Like, where do they start? Yeah, the best place to start is is our website, which is schoolstatus.com, S-C-H-O-O-L-S-T-A-T-U-S.com. Or you can call us at 855-9-STATUS, um, and that'll reach somebody. Typically, it'll go right to our um, support center. And if you say you'd like to speak to somebody, then we're happy to do so. Or you can um, just email info at schoolstatus.com. So, uh, you know, by hook or by crook, short of carrier pigeon, there's a great way to get in touch with us. And we'd love to talk to you about school status and and, uh, the ways in which we can help, you know, add your district to our fold and try to implement some of these time-saving procedures. Russ, this is awesome. I mean, you guys literally here with this contact tracing and quarantine tracking, you you really did build the airplane while you were flying it. So kudos to you guys. And and that's just incredible work, which I've done. Well, we appreciate it. We're just trying to supplement the, the, I mean, the thing that we never forget at school status is that the people that are really doing the heavy lifting are our customers that are out there in the district. So anything we can do to make that process better or easier um, we're connecting millions of messages every single uh, every single day now and so it's uh, it's a big change for us but anything we can do to help facilitate that and to give teachers back time or administrators back time whether it be communicating with parents looking at data or even contact tracing now we want to be able to do that awesome russ it's great to have you back on the show thanks nick i really appreciate it hopefully i'll uh, have some time and uh, i'll be able to come back and do a little. Uh, uh, I guess I'm. I'm not the host anymore. I'm not even we, a co-host. Anymore. We kind of just. Like we kind of just faded you out gently. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yep. I would love to come back and do some uh, guest spots and uh, get back into the the fold. But uh, honestly, you guys are doing so good without me. I don't even know where I'd fit in. Yeah, Russ. Uh, for those that don't know, Russ uh, used to co-host with us back in the uh, earlier days, the first uh, hundred episodes or so. So if you want to hear more from him, you know, just grab those old archived episodes. Again, Russ, thank awesome. you so much. Thanks, Nick. I right. appreciate it. Have a good one. That's going to do it for this episode of Class Dismissed. If you want to send us an idea or comment, remember you can always email us at info at classdismissedpodcast.com or tweet us at classdismiss. We're here to support educators, but we need your support as well. So please subscribe to the show. And we'd also appreciate it if you could leave us a five-star review on iTunes. On behalf of all the good people working at School Status and Christina, representing all those educators out there, thank you for listening. I'm Nick Ortigo, and I'll talk with you next week. Class dismissed.